0: Well good morning family, happy to be up here with you. The first thing I have to say has nothing at all to do with what I'm gonna be teaching on. I just got word um, that there is a, Toya, a blue Toyota Highlander that's in the parking lot, lights are on. So if that is you, you probably wanna run out there and fix that situation so you don't go out there and your, your car is dead. So, uh, blue Toyota Highlander, all right, all right. So let's uh, get on with what, we're, uh, do, what God has for us next. Um, I just wanted you guys to know, last week, uh, I was hanging out with my wife, Lisa, at a coffee shop. And uh, she was reading a book my wife loves just to read. And I was actually meditating on the passage that I'm going to be teaching on today and looking over the letter of Titus. And this guy and gal, they came into the coffee shop, and it looked like they were on a lunch date. And not too long into their lunch date he gets up and goes to a nearby table. It's like right next to him. And there's this group of ladies sitting there. And it was clear he didn't know them. And he excuses himself. And he, he shares the gospel with these women that he doesn't know. And he prays for them. And yeah, it was, it was like, it was, and, it, and nothing special happened. No one got baptized, you know. Uh, and actually, I think a lady got up in the middle of his sharing, uh, not because she was mad or anything, but she had to go grab something. And then he goes back, and he sits down at his table with his uh, girlfriend, and it's just business as usual. It's like, okay, I just did that. Let's carry on with our conversation. And uh, I share that because I, I wrestled a bit when I saw that. Like in, Inside, I was like, man, should he have done that? Like, was that a good witness of, of the love of Jesus? Should he have gotten to know them a little bit more, you know, before he, before he shared Jesus with them like that? And but, So, so I, you know, I thought there was some awkwardness there, but, but then I also felt a little like, man, this it's kind of awesome. Like, there's something I liked about that. And I, I never myself considered ever to go to a group of people and kind of just say, hey, let's share Jesus with you. Um, and, so, and so I really wrestled with that. Um, I wrestled really with, does Jesus call us to do that today as his church? And which I believe is, is a very important question for the church to wrestle with because it's based on how we believe God has envisioned and and given an identity and a purpose for the church today. And in our passage today, as we continue in our Titus series, we're gonna be looking at Titus chapter one, verse one, literally just one verse, one verse today. And I'm gonna share where the Spirit landed me on that question. But just as as you're turning there in your Bibles, and please, if you don't have a Bible, grab Bibles. We have some, there's some over there and there might be some back there, but uh, don't hesitate to grab a Bible. But as we look at that passage, Uh, Just as a way of reminder, Abe set up the the series last week, and he mentioned that Titus, who Paul's writing to, is an uncircumcised Gentile who's embraced by Paul. Paul calls him a true true child in the faith, so Paul most likely led him to faith. Paul had planted a church with Titus in, in Crete and has left him there to put things in order. And what Paul wants to do, he wants to make sure he's handing off healthy patterns to Titus and the church in Crete because Paul's not gonna be around you know, forever. And so he wants to make sure healthy patterns are, are going on, which is really cool why we, as Soma Tacoma family, we're asking that question in this season, what are healthy patterns that God wants to establish in and through us? This is just a key letter. I'm so glad we're going through this. Um, God's wisdom just led us to this. Also, the context of Crete that Abe mentions is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's known for its worldly mindset, this ungodly culture, famous, even famous for their moral degradation. They're very similar to here in America, um, where our mindset, as was mentioned last week, can tend to be, I, I, no one can tell me what to do with my life. I get to do with my life what I want. I get to buy what I want. I get to eat what I want. I get to do what I want. I but then we also see in, in the letter that the church context there um, in Crete is being infiltrated with the religious mindset as well. These false teachers who are, come from the circumcision party and they're trying to manage life and behavior with these laws and regulations. So Paul confronts in his letter on the one hand a worldly mindset and on the other a religious one. So as we turn to our Bibles and we look at Titus 1.1, 1, 1, Paul says, Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Now from the outset, Paul states his vision and goal for the church. Paul starts by identifying himself as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And this identity was was given to Paul by God after Paul had this radical encounter with Jesus. Because Paul, as we mentioned last week, used to be this violent, passionate persecutor of Jesus. He was opposed to the gospel. For those of you who don't know, the gospel is the good news about Jesus, who's the son of God, the chosen one of Israel, who came to reconcile and unite all things, all God's creation back to God himself by conquering Satan, by conquering death, our brokenness and sin. So that we would look the good news about Jesus, and we would repent, turn away from our sins, and look to Jesus and say, okay, yeah, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, so that we would be reconciled to God and to each other. Now, like today, um, for many people and other religions, this message was super offensive to Paul. He was really offended by it. He was uh, a a devout Jew, and Paul hated that message. It, It wasn't good news. It was blasphemous news, and his life goal was to destroy the church and imprison Christians. But one day... This one day, he was, you know, just going about as what he always did. He was going down the road to Damascus to imprison more Christians. Going about his life as usual when suddenly Paul encounters this bright light that just takes him out, blinds him. And the bright light was actually the very presence of Jesus. And this encounter with Jesus radically changed Paul's life forever. Forever in an instant. And in this encounter, Jesus gave him a new identity, new desires, a whole new trajectory for his life. It changed everything about Paul. And God gave him this identity, which Paul says, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now to clarify in the English word, the word servant used in the ESV um, actually means slave or bond servant. In other words, it's meaning Paul's life is not his own. His life, completely belongs to Jesus. And then we also see the word apostle, which literally means sent one. He's owned by Jesus and he's sent by Jesus, but also unique to Paul with the word apostle. He was given the same authority that was ranked with the original 12 that we read about in the gospels. The 12 that walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry. And so God's grace took Paul from hating the good news to living his life so radically, pouring out his life for the sake of the good news, seeing churches all about the gospel being planted all over the world. It's amazing. I mean, to just get our minds around it. It's like, think of the most notorious terrorists that you could ever think of um, who wants to destroy Western society, who definitely wants to destroy Christianity, and they encounter Jesus. And now what they're known for is spreading the good news all over the world and planting churches everywhere. It's crazy. That's what Jesus did with Paul. And not only did his identity change, like I've said, but by God's grace, he was given a whole new purpose. And Paul clearly states that in this verse. If we look at that verse again, he says, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of, that's a purpose statement, the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Paul's goal as a servant and apostle of God is to preach the gospel to everyone, confident that those whom God has chosen, that's his elect, will respond with faith that leads to godly living. So what we're gonna do is we're first gonna look at Paul's purpose for the sake of the faith of God's elect. And then we're gonna look at his purpose for God's elect in the truth that leads to godliness. So looking at faith first. Faith is how God brings someone from from death to life. Nate was singing in that song, I, I, he, he talks about, I, I once was dead. And Ephesians 2.1 says it like this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And Paul is talking about spiritual death, being spiritually dead. You see, true life is with God because God is the source of life. He's the creator. Life comes from him. And spiritual death is not having a relationship with God. And spiritual dead people cannot come to life by a well-crafted speech or message. Um, Spiritually dead people cannot come to life by the nicest and most godly acts of deeds and services. A dead person, in fact, cannot make themselves alive. Spiritual life is the gift that only God can give. And that's why, and that's why the good news is so good. Because he continues on in Ephesians 2, 4, 5, and he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he skips to verse eight saying, for by grace, he says grace again, which is a big part of our, our theme. Grace, we get what we don't deserve. For by grace, you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I remember in my story, I lived my life, like back in the day, very passionate for myself. My personal pursuits and dreams of being a hero and an awesome success story were, was my motivating factor. I cared for others to the degree that they, a lot of times helped advance my life and and benefited me. I use people, I've hurt people. Um, I've been enslaved to many things. Uh, I've been enslaved to success, enslaved to money, enslaved to lust, enslaved to depression even. Now, on the outside, I was a strong and competent and well-respected leader in my community. You never would have saw those things or thought those things. I was really good at hiding it. I was actually really good at hiding it for myself. I was pretty self-deceived. And actually, like the false teachers we hear about in Titus, I think I would have professed, oh yeah, I know God, but by my life and really what I was doing with my life, it, 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 it clearly showed that I didn't really know God. Jesus, his church, the gospel were irrelevant to my life. And I, I was spiritually dead. I was dead as we were singing earlier. I was dead. I was dead. But in an instant, in an instant, one day, God put his life in me as I was just in my apartment reading the Bible. He put his life in me. God brought me from striving to live for myself and to serve myself and made me brand new and made me into his child and servant. I'll never forget it. It was as if Jesus' presence was standing over me. And he said, Randy, Randy. I have called you, I have cleansed you, you are clean, I forgive you, and you are going to be now my servant for the rest of your life. And that was the best news. With deep within, there was nothing more exciting than to hear that from Jesus, Lord and Savior. And everything in an instant, new desires, new ways of seeing the world happened. It was brand new. Now listen, I, now, some of you guys might be a little on edge are wondering, like, man, I, you know, it's so instantaneous. I, I never had, like, a moment like that, man. Am I really saved? Now, listen, Lisa and I, my wife, have had many conversations around that. My wife's story of coming to faith is a little bit more of a gradual, long, you know, approach in the w- way Jesus brought her to faith. And actually, you see it in the Bible. We see Paul had this instantaneous salvific moment, but you read the Gospels and you see these other disciples. It's a, it's a gradual approach. But The key thing to keep in mind, and I think what Paul's trying to get here, is we're given a new desire, and that new desire comes from the Holy Spirit, which Paul talks about in Titus 3, the renewal work of the Holy Spirit. It comes within us, and we just want to love and obey Jesus more than anything else, and that's the difference, and that's what happens. He makes you new, which is what we're singing about. I am new. I am free to follow Jesus, and it happens by the work of God. Now, here's a question first. Why do do some people come to faith and others don't? Paul says that faith is due to God's grace and not our efforts. And there are many places he talks about the sovereign choosing of of God's elect, like in Romans 8. Also, Romans 9 through 11 is a really thick section on this. I encourage you to read this week, 1 Timothy. But this idea of election isn't just uh, coming from Paul. 1 Peter 1. Uh, Verses one through two says, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Also, he says in 2 Peter 1.10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Mark 13, 26, 27, Jesus says, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And lastly, Jesus in Luke 18, seven says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And in the midst of many other Bible passages that, that, that affirm uh, God's foreknowledge and, and sovereign choice, there's also countless, countless countless places in the Bible, God holds people responsible for choosing to reject him, reject God. And it isn't God's fault that others do not come to faith. People can actually choose to harden their their hearts. In in Acts 2, uh, 22 to 23, Peter holds these two seemingly opposing views in tension within one verse. He says this, men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, which is God's sovereignty and choosing, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Human responsibility for rejecting God. like Now, I can't comprehend the compatibility between God's sovereign choosing and, and our responsibility to respond to the gospel by uh, either rejecting it or, or accepting it, I just, I can't. It, it humbles me. But a key question in this conversation that can tend to get commonly overlooked is who do you start with, God or people? Is the story, the Bible, is it ultimately about God or is the story ultimately about people? The, the Bible says that it starts with God and that it's about God and it's about his story. It's completely about story. Now, we get to wrestle with God. We get to wrestle with him. In fact, I don't know how you can without, when you come across this stuff, but we don't get to sit in a place where we judge God. This is why Paul says in Romans 9, 14, 16, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? And Paul, what he's doing, he's assuming someone's asking the question, why does he still hold people accountable if he chooses? It just doesn't seem fair. And then, so here's Paul's response. He says, by no means. For he says to Moses, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now, when I read this passage, if I'm honest, it makes me feel so uncomfortable. It just does, like, it's gotta be honest. it makes me feel very uncomfortable. Like, to be honest, like, with you, I don't know how you couldn't find it uncomfortable if you take it seriously. When, when you read this and you think about people you know who aren't following Jesus, this text, it's just, it's hard, it's a struggle. And the reason why I even say that, and I wanna emphasize that, is there's, there are many throughout Church history, who have spent countless time and wrote countless pages on the topic of like whether God's sovereignty and choosing versus the human free will, or you might have heard it like set up like Calvinism versus Arminianism, or probably other ways you might have heard it. And if you haven't found yourself deeply entangled in these debates, uh, count yourself blessed. Seriously, count yourself blessed. And it's not because doctrine isn't great and important, and it's good to read. I, the reason why I say that is I, I notice sometimes in these debates, sometimes in these debates, there's just a lack of humility. There's a lack of humility. And and this passage, it humbles me to the core. It's so humbling. The passage is, the Bible, our life exists to tell a story about God and how he has chosen to glorify himself in the world. That is so counterintuitive to American culture. We don't get to judge or define God. He defines who he is to us and how he wants to be known in the world that he created. That's humbling. And now when we face this hard stuff about God, we can either ignore it, we can avoid it, or we can water it down and and make up a different God that's just easier to handle and manage and maybe give to somebody else. Or, Or we worship him. We worship God for who he is, and how he defines himself. This is why Paul concludes in Romans, that nine through 11 section, in Romans 11, 33 to 36, he says this, in that same kind of humble posture, oh, the depth of the riches, and the wisdom, and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. That's where we're led to. God is so beyond us. He is creator and we are creature and we are here to worship him. And that's what, that's what, that's what we're led to. But then maybe we might say this, Well, okay, God chooses people, so then why should we preach the gospel if people's responses are ultimately uh, in God's hands? Why should we do it? Well, we have to look at the way Paul responded. Paul had an urgency and a confidence to preach the gospel because God chooses. God had people ready, God had people ready to make alive in every city. All they needed was someone to preach the good news. And you know what Paul said? I wanna be the guy that proclaims the gospel to everyone because they could come to faith and have their life changed in an instant. In fact, there was one difficult season for Paul where when planting a church in the city of Corinth, he got beat up really bad. He was getting beat up really bad. And uh, that's my Uly bear right there, Ulysses. my little baby. He's proud of his dad. I um, love that little guy. In fact, there, so, so there was a, a difficult season Paul was in as he was trying to plant in the city of Corinth, the church there, and he got beat up really bad. Now, typically, you see the, uh, there's a pattern in Acts where when he gets rejected pretty bad in the city, he'll go on to a next one, but something different happened here. God motivated Paul to stay the course precisely because there were elect ready in the city. Acts 18, 9, 11 says this, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. You see, when Paul realized God had many of his elect or chosen in Corinth, Paul didn't like pull back and assume, well, I have no part in this because God already has his elect there. That's not what he did. He stayed another year and six months. And that's crazy because that's the longest time Paul's ever stayed in a city, besides Ephesus, to preach the gospel in order that in his preaching, God, who, who made his chosen, would, would bring people to faith. And so he stayed there. So let's, let's just think about it for a second. Which is more motivating for us in sharing the gospel? that it's up to me and, and the other person to bring about salvation, or that God chooses, or that God chooses, think about it. Think about it just in regards to the, this city, this wonderful city we live in. Think about it in regards to the Puget Sound, some of you guys from Gig Harbor and other places, but think about it, where you live. People are ready to believe through the hearing of the gospel because they're chosen by God because they're chosen by God. Imagine this in your neighborhood, your neighbors. Think about people. This is like real. Like think about your workplace, your coworkers. Think about in your school, your classmates, or if you're a teacher, your students. Think about in, in riding the bus or riding the link. People around us potentially are those God has chosen in our midst. To put faith in Jesus. It excites me. And I'll be honest, it excites me just as a preacher. Like you could be sitting here right now, you came here not knowing Jesus and God can change you like this in an instant. And he brought you here for that purpose so that you would hear the good news and know that God is not against you, but he's for you in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. And I believe that's the mindset and vision Paul wanted to ensure was handed off to Titus in the churches of Crete that we would be confident, and, and that those who are chosen by God's grace, that God has people ready in the city for us to share the gospel with. And honestly, I think that story I shared earlier about this young man sharing the gospel with a group of people he didn't know, I think it was right on. I think it was absolutely right on. Like one of those women, they could have been God's elect, he didn't know. And, and why wouldn't the Spirit nudge someone to go, hey, you know, excuse me, like, I just wanna share the gospel with you guys, like group of people. Because Who knows, they could have been God's elect. Why? Why should that not be normative? I mean, I'm just wrestling with the Bible. I, I'm not saying I don't, I, I wrestle with it, but man, when I see the Bible, it's like, like shouldn't that be like normal to, to, to the way we are understanding, following Jesus? Now, for some of you guys, like who've been around Soma for a while, this might you know feel a little new or fresh, maybe, because we, we've done a lot of good job talking about and done a lot of training in like more of a gradual approach to sharing the gospel, like building long-term friendships and relationships. And I just want to say like, that's, that's awesome. And, and this, what I'm talking about here, it shouldn't, and what the Bible's talking about here, it's not negating that, just to be really, really clear. It's not negating that. But I just want to say like, I, I think the Bible just says like, this much less gr- gradual approach, it's viable. And, and I think it's just a mindset that God wants us as believers to have and in fact, I've been doing a lot of reading lately on churches around the world, especially this last quarter, churches in China, churches in India and Indonesia. These kind of encounters are actually extremely normative. And and with that, I just wanna say, like if you guys aren't aware, like the movement of God's happening there. Like they're not just talking about like, like here, like, people here and there getting saved, like the, the whole nation's actually getting reached. Millions of people are getting converted and it's just very normative to do this kind of stuff. And I, I'm, I'm reading these books that like I've, I, this last quarter, I'm like, oh my goodness, like what, is that real? Checking the Bible, that's, that, that's true, that does happen. It's, it's, it's in the Bible, wow, that's amazing. We could share our faith. I mean, I, I'm being honest, it's just like, it's humbling to say that up here, but because I'm your elder, but I'm, I, I'm just getting wrecked by it, seriously. And what was cool, sometime after this brother shared the gospel with the ladies and and sat back down with his girlfriend, I I was getting wrecked because I was meditating on this particular passage when I was watching all this. And I remember pleading for God to bring someone that I could share Jesus with right after that. And actually, the Spirit's been leading me to do that this past quarter quite a bit. And um, sure enough, a guy comes in and he sits like right next to me, like right next to me. And the Spirit kind of nudges me like, okay, here he is. And I'm just like, so now from... You know, my point of view, the guy looked, he looked like the last thing he wanted was for me to kind of interrupt his iPad session. He was doing something on iPad. And he was kind of like a strong, like burly, beardy kind of guy. And he just looked rough and, and, and not in a bad way, but just like a tough, he just, I don't know, probably didn't want anybody to interrupt his day. And, and I, was, I was, man, I was shaking, fear and trembling, right? And, uh, but um, when I was getting close, was getting close for Lisa and I to leave the car shop, I just, you know, asked him, I said, hey, Sorry to interrupt you. I, I'm a follower of Jesus, and uh, I just wanted to ask, like, if, if you know Jesus, and, and if you don't, would you like to know about him? And he, and he looked at me with a big smile, so awesome. And he goes, no, he goes, no, I know Jesus, man. And I was like, that's awesome. I go, and the Spirit just encouraged me. Goes, well, can I pray for you? I think maybe the Spirit wants to encourage you. Um, right now, and he goes, yeah, I would love that, put his iPad down, and I just got to pray with him, it was really cool, it was really cool, Lisa was sitting there frozen, like, oh gosh, what's happening, but, but it, was, it, it was that simple, it, it was that simple, like, so what if this week, just think about this, what if this week you pray for God to give you boldness to share the gospel with someone, and join me in this, what, what, what if you just pray for God to give you boldness to share the gospel with someone, and the Spirit nudges you, just, just say someone, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm just wondering if you know Jesus, and if you don't, would you like to know about him? What if the Spirit wants to use you in that way? And we don't need to worry and be concerned about whether or not they God's elect. That's actually not for us to know. That's that's God's. Uh, And that's what makes it fun. Like, we don't know. Like, it it could be anybody. And that's what's so exciting about it. And for someone's it's like, that's not exciting. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, but that's what we get to do because it it could be potentially anyone. That's wild, man. And maybe you never ask God to lead you to share Jesus with someone because, I don't know, you, you might feel like you need more training or you just don't know enough. Or maybe you feel like, man, I don't got those gifts, or I, I, I stutter and I, I don't talk well and I'm, I just can't think of words on my feet. And maybe there's a bunch of things. And I just wanna say like, training's great and it has its place, we, we need it. But again, as I'm learning from the global church, man, there are resources for training and studying. Is, it's like nothing compared to ours. nothing. And I'm telling you, these people that like barely know a page of the Bible, they're just being obedient to what it just says right there with what they currently know. And, and God just works. That's just what's happening. And so I just, I just want to say like, it's not about how much you know. It's not about that. But what you are doing with what you know right now, with what you know right now, how you're being obedient with what you already know to what is true about Jesus and share that with others, that's plenty to give away it's plenty to give away. If he he saved you from darkness into his marvelous light, you have a lot to proclaim about the excellencies of him, about what he's done to you. Just give that away. Now going back to my story I just shared, um, that you know me asking this guy if he knows Jesus and praying for him, he might come across someone who's a believer and and God uses you to encourage them in their faith. I just wanna say that's valuable absolutely valuable. God reminded me that he used me to encourage and further my brother's faith. And that is actually the other part of Paul's goal in Titus 1.1 in our passage. God's on mission to the world, not only to see us come to faith, but to grow us in faith in him. And so the other part of Titus 1.1, Paul says that he lives for the sake of God's elect, understanding the truth that leads to godliness. The word truth Paul uses here is, is the gospel of Jesus. It's what we've been talking about. Paul's apostleship, it was not merely to bring God's chosen people to conversion, merely, only, but also to bring them to live godly lives, to live godly lives. Again, like we have said last week and, and, and Abe uh, said actually earlier before I came up, and what we're going to be talking about every week as we're going through Titus, that this theme is God, grace teaches us, grace teaches us to do good works. Paul's purpose is to see God's chosen people changed, transformed, so that God would be known and seen in the city of Crete. And the letter to Titus has this other focused heart. It calls us to be, as we're gonna get to eventually, hospitable, a lover of good, gentle, not greedy for gain, um, to not speak evil of anyone, Uh, to show perfect courtesy to all people, like that's the kind of life that is supposed to be produced in and through us. But don't forget Paul, and and don't forget that Paul's actually calling them to this in light of living in Crete. And like we already said, Crete with a worldly mindset, it's a really broken place, much like our place. And it's, it's really hard. But if you put on top of, on top of like this living, like with love and gentleness and being courteous, I, we also, like we've been saying, at the heart of it, the church is also to go about sharing the gospel to all for the sake of God's elect. That's just really hard to live this way as a proclaimer of the gospel in everyday life. That's really hard. Now, I, I don't know about you, but it can easily be discouraging to try to live this way when I look at all the brokenness around me, all the brokenness in the world just flipping through social media. It's easy to find myself saying, man, what's the point? You guys ever feel that sometimes? Like, man, what's the point? Like, people have their viewpoints, and man, they're just stuck in their ways, you know? And, and it could be so easy to either isolate yourselves from all the brokenness and just stand far, like kind of judgmenting it, being judgmental, maybe not outwardly because you're good at hiding it because you know you're not supposed to, but we just isolate ourselves from all the broken people. And I, I hey guys, I've struggled with this, okay? Uh, and we, 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 we could do that because we're just like, they're just too broken. Or... We, we, we can also tend to uh, just become a part of the broken col- culture without ever challenging it. And I've struggled with that too, without ever challenging it. And, uh, and really we're taking on either a religious mindset or, broken or a worldly mindset in, in doing that. And we're broken people who live in a broken world. It's hard. My situation at the coffee shop, I, it was hard, I'm not, like, you know, it's kind of funny, like, oh, fear and trembling, ha-ha. Like, I was, I was scared, man, I was totally scared. It was really hard, it was really hard to work through. It. And that was on the heels of, like, super convicted from the word, encouraged by this brother that just did it, and I'm just like, uh, do you know I know about Jesus? You know, like, I'm scared, you know. Like, it, it was that hard. It, it's really, because I don't know what he's going to think about me. What is he going to say? There's just so, it just feels so risky, right? And, and I just want to say, you see, we, we, can't, we can't fake the godly life We just can't. Godly living is not trying to look like a good Christian so others can pat you on the back. That's a religious mindset. Like sometimes you might think godliness is just checking these blocks. That's just a religious mindset. But godly living isn't merely also just being nice to people who are broken and never challenging them. That's a worldly mindset, guys. There's freedom to be had and it's not just by being a nice person. It's only through Jesus. Godly living is is radically sacrificial. It's giving your life for the sake of Jesus' name being made known to others, especially those who will reject you. Second Timothy 2.10 says, therefore I endure, I like that word, endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. To live a godly life, it's gonna bring about hardship. It's gonna bring about suffering. It's, there's gonna need to be endurance. And that's why we can't live the godly life apart from Jesus and the Spirit. I hope you hear that this morning. You can't do this apart from Jesus and the Spirit. We need God to place himself inside us as his chosen people so that through faith we would live out this godly life. That's it, man. Because what we do is supposed to come from who God's made us to be because of what he did. That's how this works. And I don't know about you, though, I struggle, though, and I hear about the endurance and hardship, I struggle with that. Deep down, I'm excited to follow Jesus to that end. I'm excited to go there with him. I want that, deep down. And that's why, like even afterwards, I shared the good news with this guy, or I, I prayed for him and I asked him about like the, you know Jesus. Even though I struggled, afterwards it felt so good. I remember talking to Lisa on the drive home, and I was like, man, I, I feel like that's what I was made to do. And you know what? That is what I was made to do. Like just the songs we're like the, the songs we the songs we were singing. Again, going back to Nate's song, man, that's, we, we, God has made us a particular way. He transforms us from the inside out. That when we do those things, no matter how hard it is, at the end of the day, there's something deep within us that says, yes this is good, this is right, this taste of my Lord and Savior, this is what he's made me for, to glorify his name, not mine, for his name's sake, and I come alive. And I was alive on the drive back home. And, I'll t- and here's the good news, God is willing and desiring to give all of us here that heart. There's nothing special in me, guys. There's, I I'm hope I'm communicating that clearly. Like, there's nothing special in me. Like, look, man, it was up here, 12-year-old girl, leading us to worship Jesus because of the spirit of God. It's the spirit of God. That's how movement happens. It's not because eloquent speech or smarts. It's because the power of God comes into broken people and he makes them new and he speaks through them and people get changed. And we just go, God, you're amazing. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it, but you're amazing. Your grace is amazing. Your power is amazing. I am here for you. Do with me what you will. This is our posture. I hope you hear that because that's good news for you because we all can do this. We all can do this, Jesus, I need you. We all can do this. And I just wanna say, if you're here and you're following Jesus, you are chosen by God. You are chosen. You are his treasure. He values you. God, holy God, almighty, I don't care what you did this morning. If you are new in Christ, he values you and he treasures you. You're his chosen you're his chosen race, as we talked about, and he wants to use you to bring him glory in everything you do and everything you say. Every one of us here, whether you work at home or you're a school teacher, you're, you want to be a church planter, you're skilled laborer, you're an entrepreneur, whatever you are, he wants to use you in this way right now where you're at. So this week, as I close, I just want to think about this. What if this week you got together in your MC and you actually wrestled with this? Talk about the fears, talk about the struggles, talk about the doubts, talk about maybe lack of desire. And, and what if you just like opened the Bible and prayed for each other towards this and encouraged each other, started sharing the gospel even to each other because if we don't do it with each other, it, it's, it's, it's hard to do with those that don't know them. And I just want to say this, if you don't have an MC, please, 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 don't let that hinder you from obeying Jesus today. Don't, don't let it do that. Get together with another brother, get together with another sister, two or three, get together and sit with Jesus. Wrestle with this stuff, talk about this. God has chosen you to use you. All right, as the band comes up, you guys can come on up. I'm gonna, um, actually, you guys come up. Um, We're gonna take communion together. I'm gonna pray Holy Spirit, I I just pray right now, anything that you might've convicted anybody with in that, would you uh, solidify that right now in their hearts? Would you lead them to obey? Um, Because you're with them, you're with them. I pray that in Jesus' name.